a guest in my own house tonight. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Catch us streaming at and on your iHeartRadio app. We are normally here 9 to 11 weeknights. It's great having you with us. Of course, the program started an hour earlier tonight because we've got a little uh, primary election going on and returns coming in. And we've had in with us Kip Christensen and Max Reimer of the Kip and Max Save the World podcast in to break that down. And they've done a fantastic job. Brad Omlin leading the way. Yes, our fearless leader. Appreciate you guys uh, filling in for me. Had some stuff. Had to go see a man about a horse, as they say. Anytime, so, Walter. You know, Anytime. On a night like tonight? Uh, you know, the business never ends. There's, there's, o- there's always money to be made. They're still, they're still doing... Uh, Horses on on primary night. <laughs> it is yes. a horse race. It's yes. not exactly a growth industry, but there's there's still a little hor- a little uh, money yet to be made. It's the cash that. cow. Just ask Sam in the mornings. She knows all about that. She does. So you know, I you guys are the ones who have had your ear to the ground. I've been driving around all day. I, I listened to your coverage during the first hour. What are the updates on the status of these races as you guys see it? I think judging from the last time we updated everybody, we just talked to Jim Newberger on the other side of the break. Jim Newberger's race has been called. Uh, Karen Housley's race has been called. We, In fact, we have every uh, senatorial race, both Republican and Democrat, having been called. Uh, the one surprise in that race is Tina Smith destroyed Richard Painter. We did not see that one coming. We thought it would be closer, but Tina Smith won by a margin or is winning by a margin with a quarter of the precincts reporting 76% to 14%. The one race that we have new that is updated is in 34A, a house district, which I believe is in the Maple Grove area. We had um, Kristen Robbins beat Brad Ganser. And that race has been called. So that is the newest race that has been called. The other races are very tight. The gubernatorial race on the Democratic side, Tim Walls leads 41% to Aaron Murphy's 36%. Lori Swanson is falling behind, 28% reporting. And with 28% reporting on the Republican side, Jeff Johnson is beating Tim Pawlenty 53% to 43%. So... Walter, that is uh, that is it right now. We have some tightly contested races, but uh, some of them have been called already. Attorney General Max, Keith Shit. Ellison, 53%. His next closest competitor is 16%. Yeah. Yeah. With, 30, with 30% reporting. That is the, unbelievable. Th- there's just so many things for us to talk about, even with what we know so far. Let's let's start with the governor's race on the GOP side. So. That, that's We've got Karen. Currently, oh, let's talk to Karen Housley, who's calling in. She has just secured her primary victory. Thanks for joining us on Closing Argument. You're on with Kip, Max, Walter, and Brad. Congratulations. Woohoo! Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited. So thanks for having me on here. I just had to quick finish my pizza before I called you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that is the campaign food of choice. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. So you got to be feeling good. Yeah. Oh, you know what? It was so exciting. That was uh, that was quicker than I thought it would be that, that for them to call it. So that was exciting. That's quicker than any of my other races have gone. So it's good. It's good to know that what I was hearing out there on the ground throughout the state of Minnesota was exactly what happened in the polls tonight. So, so I've got my ear to the ground and I'm I'm listening and and it came came to fruition tonight. Okay. 
Do you have uh, a, uh, I mean, obviously you got to turn straight to the general from, from this. How quickly does the euphoria wear off and you start uh, targeting your strategy for November? Um, and you know what? I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. We've been running uh, to November from the beginning. Um, we just we knew that, that there was the endorsement and then there was the primary. But as each day kept going, we, were, we kept the same message because it's the same message we're going to use in November. So tomorrow, the schedule has been set a long time ago. Tomorrow I'm up going to Alexandria and then uh, going even further north. So we'll keep taking that same message out there of creating more jobs, keeping our economy booming. That's, we're going to continue with that message because it's resonating. Karen, a lot of the polls recently had you in a pretty much dead heat with Tina Smith. What are some key distinguishing things you're going to use in the general election to contrast your candidacy with her candidacy at this point? Well, I think uh, one thing about Tina Smith is she's been a political operative her whole life. She hasn't uh, done anything but that except for her time where she served as vice president of Planned Parenthood. But she's been the chief of staff for uh, mayor of Minneapolis, Ryback, and then she was chief of staff for Governor Dayton, and then she was lieutenant governor for Dayton. I, on the other hand, have uh, owned my own business. That's what I've been doing since 2001. I've served, served in the Minnesota Senate. Um, I've served in a swing district. Won the first time by 1%, second time by 24%. So it shows that, you know, I serve everybody in my district. And also, Tina Smith, since she's been in office in Washington, D.C. as a U.S. Senator, she is, she's an obstructionist. 80% of the votes she has taken are obstructing what the president and the administration is trying to do. So that's not how you serve everybody in Minnesota. Everybody in Minnesota needs to have a voice, and I will be, I will be their new voice in Washington, D.C., and Karen, this is Kip. Uh, I know you've got a heart out here. Thank you so much for calling in. For people that want to get in touch with your campaign and learn more about you as we run towards November real hard, how do we continue the excitement of tonight and know more about you and get in touch and help volunteer and door knock and do all the phone call work for you? Oh, absolutely. And i got to tell you, it's already started to happen. I, I, all, the, all of our campaign staffers are out there in, in the office here, and I'm tucked in this back room, and the dollars are coming in and people are going to the website and signing up. Give me a sign. How can I help out? Go to the website at Housley, H-O-U-S-L-E-Y, for Senate.com. And everything, everything, money is always important. Volunteers, sign locations, phone calling, parade. We can always use parade help. Whatever area of the state you're in, we can, we can use. That would be great, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you joining us tonight, Karen Housley, and uh, good luck heading towards November. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. We have another race that has been called. Do we have? We should get something on the button bar, <laughs> an alarm sound or something like that. But what are we uh, the globalists are crapping themselves. <laughs> that's, the one, that's the one right there. That is the one. <laughs> yes. Yes, Brad. Yes. U.S. House District 5 has been called on both the Democratic uh, side of that ballot and the Republican side of that ballot. Jennifer Zielinski will be your Republican candidate come November. And Ilhan Omar. And Ilhan Omar has, the race has been called with 92% reporting. Ilhan Omar wins with 48.1% over Margaret Anderson Kelleher's 30.8%. And look at that breakdown between the Republican primary vote in Hennepin County, similar same precincts reporting. Right, um, I was just looking at that. the The disparity in numbers is alarming. Isn't that something? Ninety Absolutely to ten percent. 
90 to 10 well, Democrat to Republican, 123,000 votes Democrat side, 13,000. So, I mean, I hate, I hate to be a, a Debbie Downer and pessimistic, but let's, let's presume but here for we the go. sake of argument that Elon Omar effectively has just been coordinated as the next. Well, she's your next representative. She's your next representative from CD5. What does that do to the landscape? Is this is it a significant shift from Keith Ellison? In some ways, I would think not, but per, potentially just by virtue of some of the identity politics, this could have some effect on the the face of the Democratic Party moving forward. You know, you're looking at looking at those primary voters, and the breakdown is pretty much fifty were for Ilhan, fifty were for someone else in this Democratic primary. Um, whether that's Margaret Anderson Kelleher, Patricia Torres Ray, um, or the rest of the field, including past Republican nominee Frank Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that breakdown, you know, it's it's pretty clear that among these dedicated Democrats in CD5 that historically Keith Ellison has been able to turn out massive statewide winning margins by running up the score in CD5. Right. This group of folks is split pretty down the middle between sure. whether Ilhan's the right direction forward or not. There was a lot of fight over whether the DFL should even endorse in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there is some underlying maybe fractures, uh, but I don't think it's not it's not going to make the race extremely competitive having Ilhan in there. I don't think people are going to switch parties in the same in that sort of a way. But I think from a from an organizing and mobilization standpoint now Ilhan's people are extremely competent in that regard. They are very, very good. Her campaign manager is very, very good. Um, and if 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 she takes this as kind of the, the, she's now got the baton to run with, and everybody gets in line, maybe. But if there are undercutting, you know, some some undercurrents, maybe we do see a little bit of a step back this cycle. Is there the potential for what's going on with Keith Ellison right now and the controversy that he finds himself under with these accusations of domestic abuse in a prior relationship, that, which has, there, there seem to be indications that there's some fracturing of his support, even though he's probably going to prevail tonight, that, that that will have an effect upon that established organizing machine and perhaps the passing of that Paton of organization won't be as smooth as uh, it otherwise would have been. I think, and this brings up a good point in two ways. Does Keith Ellison have a little bit more of an ounce of sense than Ilhan Omar? I think Ilhan Omar is of the same breed as Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Cortez, where it is unabashed democratic socialism, where they actually label themselves that way. The other point is, and I think every listener should take this to the bank with them right now, forget about it. If you think that there is an ounce of moral equivalency to these people to say that I'm not going to take a stand against Keith Ellison because he did this, that, or the other thing, forget about (laughs) it. Look at the returns right now. Mm-hmm. People have known about this news for days now, mm-hmm. and we know that early voting was strong. But people have known about this news for days. I, th- right. I thought Keith was going to win, but not Keith, by this kind of well, margin. Keith Ellison is going to garner sixty percent against legitimate opponents, and all of these numbers are numbers from today. This is not yeah. absentee ballots. That's, that that's correct. That's, yeah. Well, all, they are. They have been being. They have been counted throughout the day, and once you get to final numbers, those will get 
added in. But we're not Uh, seeing those now. So the early voting, as far as I understand it, maybe I'm understanding it incorrectly, but the the way I've always understood the process is that they count the ballots that are cast on Election Day first, and then they count the absentees and the earlies afterwards. And then, you know, if there's... And and in some cases, if if they have reason to believe based upon the numbers that it's not going to make any difference, they don't even bother. Right. My understanding from some reporters today was that they've been counting absentee ballots throughout the day. That's why ballots that, uh, well, ballots that are received on election day, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of flexibility there. Um, but they start counting them throughout the day. And it depends on precincts. At least in Hennepin County, one of the report, longtime reporters out of Hennepin County said that the final numbers are going to include those okay. ballots. So, so one other thing I want to point out, and I, I do want to touch on that again, Keith Ellison, it will not matter come general election time what kind of skeletons he has. This is how it always goes. Democrats will back their candidate unless there is a video that's presented or some indisputable visual evidence where there's a write-in campaign and Keith Ellison voluntarily drops out of the race. It's going to be Keith Ellison and Doug Wardlow at the end of the day in what will look like a more traditional DFL versus Republican race in Minnesota. We shouldn't deceive ourselves that there's going to be some uh, differentiating factor because of the recent news. Which is kind of amazing in the Me Too era, right? That and 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 we're we're getting we're getting this question with Amarosa on an entirely different level. Put up or shut up on the tape thing. Like in Keith's in Keith's situation, on the on the Democratic side, we've been hearing you have to take you have to take women at their word, um, you know. And and I am democratic. Women. I am sympathetic to that belief. And it's Democrat, a Repu- democratic and, women who are not accusing well, people who are running for office. That's right. Who are not accusing the deputy chair of that's the right. DNC. That's, that's right. 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 There's a fine line that we're seeing. There's here a particular now. sort of power you're supposed to undermine, and it's not the Democratic right. political establishment. And it's and it's and it's probably also, frankly, not Keith Ellison. Right. Well, we've In, seen how this plays out, um, like. With the NFL, with domestic abuse allegations, um, for example, the pictures of Adrian Peterson, how he uh, whipped his kid, and then the video of Ray Rice in yes. the elevator, and then the video of Joe Mixon um, punching that girl in the bar. A video has a far greater effect on the the con- or on the results of or on the future, you could say, um, because it's basically news porn. It's something that's going to get played over and over and it's going to be naturally shocking to people and to brad's point right if you are still valuable to an organization that news seems to disappear pretty darn quick one story i remember specifically about the nfl is greg hardy right greg hardy was in the prime of his career he beat the crap out of his girlfriend and threw her on a pile of guns literally and then got signed by the dallas cowboys i think two months later that does it. That sounds like something somebody made up. Well, it is the Cowboys. That it is the Cowboys. It's a pile of guns, and it's the Cowboys. Hey, it's one Texas. other point I want to make to uh, about the the actual numbers from tonight. And I got a message from Marge Beard. She's a good friend of mine on the Republican Liberty Caucus. But she made note that thus far, the DFL has outnumbered total Republican votes two and a half times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about the implications of that and continue to review the results as they come in. On closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson. Got uh, Kip and Max from Kip and Max Save the World in with us to analyze your primary results tonight. 651-989-5855. We'll talk to Anthony and St. Paul when we return. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
City's News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. It is primary election night, and we've got your live and local reaction to the results as they come in. In to help us is Kip Christensen and Max Reimer from the Kip and Max Save the World podcast, found wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Kipandmax.com, if people want to uh, want to check it out after our live and local reaction. Absolutely. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Let's talk to Anthony in St. Paul. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yep. So um, I definitely expected Keith Ellison to win his primary here, but I think come November there's going to be a lot of stuff. You guys are getting kind of apocalyptic right now. Maybe not you, but whoever was just uh, explaining it. I, there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out about Keith Ellison. Keep in mind, Louis Farrakhan disciple damn near. So he's, there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out. There's going to be plenty of identity politics both ways, unfortunately. And I hate, and I hate to see it come down to that, but that's how it is in Minnesota. So I know you I know you to be a big Trump guy, Anthony, and one thing that's been cited about Donald Trump is that he seems to be Teflon when it comes to, you know, revelations of, uh, you know, whether it be stuff involving Stormy Daniels or comments that were made in the past or whatever the case may be. And part of the reason for that, the conventional wisdom seems to be, is that that sort of thing has already been baked into the cake of people's evaluation of who Donald Trump is. Do you get the sense that there might be a similar effect with Keith Ellison, where whatever we find out between now and November isn't necessarily going to move anybody's opinion on him because they they're already aware of those aspects of him? I don't think so, and the reason I say that is because there's significantly less people in the state of Minnesota than there would be in a completely federal election. Gotcha. So I so you think there's people who just don't know who Keith Ellison is. Statewide in Minnesota. People, I think there's going to be people that come out here, and they're going to they're going to understand that that Keith Ellison is going to turn Minneapolis. Well, it already kind of is, but they're going to understand he's going to turn Minneapolis, and he's going to try to turn uh, as much of the state as he can into a Section Eight rat rat nest of uh, immigrants and refugees. Hey, Anthony. And, a- a- Anthony, sure. listen. Let me let me pose something to you here, real quick. I'm looking at the returns right now, and and. In general, I tend to agree with you. I think some of your uh, <laughs> Section Eight rats nest, uh, not not language I would necessarily use. However, I'm very blunt, man. I live in this. Listen, I, I I get it. Keith Ellison right now has 153,000 votes with 35 percent reporting. Do you know how many total votes have been cast for a Republican Attorney General right now? Uh, uh, Wardlow, how many? No, no, no. In total, this is Wardlow and all of his opponents. And Wardlow is, Wardlow's race has not been called. 123,000. Keith Ellison has eclipsed our entire field thus far in total vote count. I think if you think that people are going to make up their mind or make a different decision on Keith Ellison based on some recent stories, we're sadly mistaken. This that's, race that's is going to take a ton of work. Voted, my friend. That's assuming everybody's voted. You forget about about uh, rural Minnesota. Yeah, uh, that's what I was just going to say. Thousands and thousands and thousands yep. of people out there. Trump country, my area. Um, Anthony, I entirely agree with you. We've only really got the metro in right now. So there's no. Re- say, though, I, yeah. I want to be level-headed here. You very well could be. I have a lot of optimism here, as as a as a young 23 year old. But 
you know, if we want to look at it level-headed, it's still early. I Certainly. The, I, I pray, I pray to whatever. I you cannot ask Keith Ellison as, attorney, as state attorney general. It's an absolutely terrifying thought. I appreciate your call and your thoughts as always, Anthony. I want to get some analysis here from Kip and Max. Go ahead, guys. One timely, one timely tweet on this. Maya Rao of the Strib just tweeted that State DFL Chair Ken Martin arrived at the DFL event this evening. Um, first question posed to him was on the Keith Ellison domestic abuse allegations. Keith's quote, and I quote, I'm not going to talk about those tonight. There will be plenty of time to talk about them tomorrow. Another critical tweet from Esme Murphy of WCCO. She is at the Tim Pawlenty headquarters, and it looks, and she describes it as a small and subdued crowd at Governor Tim Pawlenty's headquarters. That is a fair way to categorize what I am looking at right now. It looks like the room has just about emptied out. You got some live streaming going on or something? It, it's a screenshot from okay. Esme Murphy as oh, gotcha, of... Gotcha. As of four or, minutes ago. Or it's the political operatives in Minnesota who know that this race, that, that this night is nowhere near even begun and they just haven't showed up yet. Um, at Teapot headquarters, you've got to be looking at, you've got to be looking at outstate numbers. Like across all of CD7, only 20% of precincts have reported. That's where, uh, the governor has been saturating the airwaves and in the counties that are reporting for the governor and are reporting with larger percentages of their precincts in, He's got a healthy lead. Um, 11 of 19 precincts in Monoman County, it's Tim Pawlenty 51 to 39. Um, Cass County, it's Tim Pawlenty 50 to 45. Uh, have heavy precincts reporting. Wilkin County, it's Tim Pawlenty 54 to 43. It's a 10% margin in all of these outstate counties. And remember that Trump came within 40,000 40, votes of winning the state in 2016 reliant on those counties that turn out outstate. We'll continue our analysis of your primary election returns as they come in on closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Kip Christensen, Max Reimer of Kip and Max Save the World, KipandMax.com. Join us at 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. So we got breaking news with the primary election returns this evening involving the DFL gubernatorial race uh, coming to us organically via Max Reimer, Kip Christensen from Kip and Max Save the World in with us to analyze the goings-on of the evening. W- what you got for us, Max? So Lori Swanson, one of the gubernatorial candidates on the DFL side, she just had a press conference uh, conceding and basically endorsing Tim Walls. So Tim, as Tim Walls kind of cleans up in the Twin Cities better than we thought he would, it's looking more and more like he will be your Democratic candidate come November. He is currently leading the field 41.5% to Aaron Murphy's 34.8% with 41% reporting. So, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, uh, including from yours truly over this air, regarding the radical turn that the Democrats are taking, uh, as indicated in personalities such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the embracing of the rhetoric of Bernie Sanders and what have you. Of course, Keith Ellison we have here in this state. But Walls seems to be, relative to the other candidates who were vying for the gubernatorial uh, nomination, to be the least controversial what are the implications of that going regardless of who he's up against jeff or tim in november is this going to be a more difficult race 
Well, I'll tell you, I tweeted the other day that I thought if the Democrats did not nominate Tim Walls to be their gubernatorial candidate, that they were huffing glue. One of my favorites. I, I believed that. I still do. And it looks like they are going to take the more pragmatic route mm-hmm. to the governorship. Sure. Uh, Tim Walls has really made an effort between his lieutenant governor candidate and some of his social media messaging to to appeal to the more progressive side and saying, I can be the more progressive candidate. We all know that's not who Tim Walls is, but let me tell you, watching this play out, Tim Walls is an A-plus politician. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is on my team shakes your hand real hard, asks you how you're doing, and feels genuine about it. If the DFL were to go this Democrat socialist route and and nominate the Aaron's and Aaron's, right. which which I thought was going to happen, right. that could make that could be the route that makes you feel better. But that would not be the route that would not be a good route for victory for them. Now there's thirty five there's thirty five percent of current calculated DFL votes. That went for that route well, specifically. Do, do they lose? Do they lose those votes come November? I, those are some of your most dedicated activists. Here's the other thing: those those are your ground forces in many cases. Now there there were, and we can go back to uh, the history here of all of the outstate party chairs resigning or taking leaves of absence um, to support walls, but within the metro. Your phone bankers, your they chose they chose the progressive, far like just shy of Leninism, um, you know option. But they're still going to want to support Ellison. They're still going to want to support oh, Omar. So absolutely. so they're still going to have be part of that ground game. And Walls benefits from that, whether they're enthusiastic about him or not. Yeah, they've got a dog in the fight, and it's they've got two of them. Sure, um, you know, dog is a bad word to use today. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, didn't Trump get in trouble for that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim Pawlenty right now, according to Esme Murphy, is insisting on uh, this is Kip's thesis uh, that outstate results will turn this election for him. He has told Esme Murphy that congressional districts 1, 7, and 8 will turn the entire race around. Right now, Tim Pawlenty, with 45% reporting, has in a 10-point deficit to Jeff Johnson. No. I I have to say I'm surprised by that. I was and I had nothing. No, I you know wasn't privy to any polling or anything along these lines. Had no substantiation for this opinion. But my sense was that because of his name recognition, because of the the disparity in fundraising, and because of the case to be made that that he would be more competitive in the general election, that he would have a stronger showing than he has thus far shown this evening. Is this in line with your guys' expectations? And I know that you know, we've got a, a disparity here in the room. Kip, you're a Tim guy. Uh, Max, you're a Jeff guy. But regardless of that, in terms of your trying to be objective political analysis, did you expect different than what we're seeing right now? I'll let Kip take that one first. No. Um, I've been traveling around truly greater very outstate minnesota i've put eighteen thousand miles in my car in the last two months um on the radio in outstate minnesota mm-hmm. you hear tim Pelini's names name 34 times an hour mm. it is full saturation on radio which is your main like when you've got that much windshield time 
yeah. as an outstate district. That is your main source of this sort of stuff. You're not sitting at home. These are not people that just sit on their couch. These are hardworking Minnesotans sitting in their tractor cabs, listening to the radio, driving down the road to take stuff to market. These are folks that are on the move all the time yeah. because of the massive distances that you're talking about out there. And in that radio, that cheap radio market where you can buy saturation in that type of quantity, and then maybe you hit them on TV at night when they get home and put their feet up because they had a hard day's work. In greater Minnesota, the saturation on radio has been overwhelming. And I think you're looking at a number of these precinct, these counties that are coming back so far in the, in the outstate areas where Jeff still has yellow. You know, you've got a couple Wilkin. Wilkin went for Jeff by 30 votes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're narrow margins, but where the votes, where, where Tim Pulhenny's leading, um, he's leading by five and 10 points. So, um, so you're echoing Polinti's position that this could still turn around. Yeah, Monoman County, he's got him. He's got Jeff by 20 points, um, and there are many counties that have reported zip zilch nada, including Polk County, which is one of your larger population centers with East Grand Forks. Do you have a differing opinion, Max? Uh, I sure do, and and you know, Kip and I are probably Me not. <laughs> and Brad does too as the neutral arbiter in all of this, so I'll be anxious to hear from him. Uh, my firm native handled a lot of uh, Jeff Johnson's social media and digital infrastructure. The numbers that came back, and I told his campaign this tonight while I was at their after party, that I am the most confident person in Minnesota right now. The voter commitments that we got online, which follows the Trump model of digital marketing, identifying people who we think will vote for us and getting some commitment, be it a donation or an opt-in or anything along those lines, we knew that we had a floor that could potentially win us the election. The polling, the primary polling, anything along those lines didn't make a hill of beans of difference to us. And contrary to what Kip is talking about, you know, Tim Pawlenty is, uh, is running out of rope here. Jeff Johnson is dominating in the metro area. Now, most of those precincts are reported. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out the rest of the night, but I thought this would be a close one, and I really did think by this evening that Jeff Johnson would win the gubernatorial primary. All right. So we have, Brad's got some insight well, as well. I think that one indicator is, I mean, maybe this is just my lived experience, anecdotal evidence coming in, but uh, Faribault County where, well, maybe I might be wrong here. Uh, Fairbolt County, which is so conservative that uh, Walter, like that's where Walter Mondale grew up, mm-hmm. and he didn't even win in 1984. That's My. how conservative uh, <laughs> Fairbolt County is, and that went uh, with 23 of 33 precincts reporting. Jeff Johnson uh, has won that, but next door in Martin County, where Walter Mondale was born and did not win the 1984 election, with three of 37 precincts reporting. Uh, Polenti has a one vote lead. So if I think if these deep south central Minnesota counties uh, like Fairbolt and Martin County go Johnson's way, I think that Johnson can take the rest of the state. 
All right. There's your your uh, wide variety, your spectrum of analysis. Lots of opinions. Regarding the gubernatorial race, which looks like uh, is going to be going perhaps later than we're on the air tonight, but we might not get an actual check mark by a name before we're off the air at 11. We'll continue when we return and talk to Mike and St. Paul and Brian from California when we return. 651-989-5855 if you want to join that queue to WinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Let's tick through your phone calls, get your live and local reaction to the primary election returns as they come in here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, joined by Kip Christensen and Max Reimer of the Kip and Max Save the World podcast, found at kipandmax.com and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. 651-989-5855 is the number I have to start with Kegger in Bloomington. He's got a message for you, Kip. That's Keggers. Oh, Keggers. Keggers. I'm sorry. I <laughs> Are we supposed to expose who you are? Kip, where is your God now? Where is your poppy, God that was supposed to come in and not give too sh- about the endorsements or endorsement singular? And came in and like the the limp wristed like that commercial. <laughs> what is going on? Where is he now? Where did the where did the establishment hacks the party hacks the the insider MAGA class? What did they do for him besides get him a primary loss to another? And and Max, don't get started here. Jeff Johnson is another weak noodle. GOP, please, um, nothing burger. Shoot me a Facebook message at two a.m. <laughs> All right. Where, where is where is the money now, Brian McClung? What did he do for this state uh, besides bring Tim Pawlenty back? This bow to your establishment gods and see that they have forsaken you. That was really, really thought. Appreciate strong language, Brad. Um, don't let those through anymore. But what the heck? No, is... I I appreciate it, and <laughs> and I still look forward to seeing what this looks like when our precincts come in fully. I mean, Kip, Be- to your in your defense, well, and and Kegger's defense, like Jeff Johnson is a weenie. Oh wow! Let's I've said it, I've Savage. said that before. I've said that before that Jeff Johnson's a weenie, and I really had a ton of hope. When I saw that first ten thousand dollar video that they put out, the announcement launch video. Are you talking about I, the the party at the, the part, governor's the, mansion? It was well, it was the Minneapolis Club, but oh, okay, party at the governor's mansion. Sure, right. Um, I had been told this is Jeff Johnson three We're coming with fire and brimstone, and you know we shall see how this night actually turns out because <laughs> we are only at fifty one fifty one percent of precincts reporting which is not indicative of 51% of votes reporting sure. either. It's going to be it's going to be real tight. I I did want to give a DFL update. Tim Tim Walls and this is 51% reporting on their end, but Tim Walls has vastly and I I really want the audience to understand this is vastly overperformed in the Twin Cities metro area. He is pulling away from Aaron Murphy right now by about 9 points 
with 51% reporting. It's looking like, for everyone out there, it, it will be Tim Walls, who will be an incredibly formidable opponent to whoever comes out of the GOP primary. I, I did want to make mention, I and this is a personal philosophy on Jeff Johnson. Jeff Johnson, if you take into account his position on recreational marijuana and a couple of other things, Jeff Johnson is about as libertarian as you're going to get as yeah. a gubernatorial candidate in Agreed. Minnesota. And that's why I was drawn to him. It was very interesting to watch after the convention how unified that entire floor was. People underestimate the energy that I think is behind Jeff Johnson's campaign. But at the end of the day, philosophically, Walter, I know what you believe. Brad, to a certain extent, I think I know what you believe listening into the show. Jeff Johnson is about as libertarian a candidate as you're going to get for this governor's seat. Except for the fact that Jeff Johnson hasn't actually come out in support of legalizing marijuana. That's that's it. That's it. Yep. No doubt about it. He he certainly hasn't. Uh, uh, every other issue, it seems to be, you know, he just wants to get government out of your way. I mean, so. if he came out in support of that, I think that would tip my scales in his favor. I'm really interested that that marijuana is a number one issue for a lot of people throughout the state. Because, Brad, I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's your number one issue necessarily, but it is a sticking point for many, many libertarians in this state that they hold candidates to account for that. I think it's similar to Sunday sales, the way Sunday sales was for so long in terms of being a litmus test of political philosophy. In Bing, terms bingo. of exactly. if, if, if your position, if you mince words or him and ha or wring your hands over medical marijuana or Sunday sales or issues like that where the, the moral calculus is very clear in terms of individual rights and their application, it, there's a no good in, there's a good indication that if you're not good on that, you're not going to be good on other things. Let's talk to Mike in St. Paul. Welcome to the program. Wow, Dick Painter. Huh. Yeah, he got crushed, man. What happened? <laughs> well, his appearance on the show certainly didn't catapult him into a uh, uh, win. But um, well, all we did was let him talk. We turned on the mic and let him talk. <laughs> so that was his downfall, I guess. But um, you should see Walter's smile right now. <laughs> Hey, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't calculate it. I mean, he could have said anything. He could have turned everybody around. Uh, two questions: What about Ellison, and what about Plenty, and and whoever wants to take them, um, feel free. But I, I'm still baffled here at what Mr. Ellison is thinking. I mean, to me, he was the um, the um, uh, perfect swamp creature, you know, with this background, being the first Muslim congressman. I mean, he could have made a career out of that district. What What am I missing here that he's, I mean, does he see a governorship? Why, why did he leave? I, I, I'll, I'll take first crack at that, Mike. I appreciate the call. My take is that Ellison is a true believer in the cause, and he sees Attorney General as an opportunity to do more than he can currently do in Congress. And he said so himself in his campaign announcement and rhetoric uh, after the announcement that his his aspiration is to be a check on Trump and to to lead the resistance as a general from Minnesota. Do you guys have a different take or you know, I, I think you're onto something. I think Ellison has aspirations uh for that seat, but beyond that, um Ellison has made and he has said as much his mission is to keep Trump in check. I think there is a certain political motive beyond even the attorney general's seat that Ellison has in mind. 
But Ellison sees this as a platform to continuously sue Donald Trump for right. whatever perceived wrongdoing Donald Trump may commit, and in doing so, make himself a, a Democrat hero. Because Kip and I have discussed this on the podcast, we may feel really good about our electoral victories as Republicans, but at the end of the day, the embedded state... The constitutional offices, the people who make the decisions are still ruled by the Democrat Party. I think Ellison wants to be part of that process. All right. We'll talk to Brian calling all the way from California. First thing when we return. Appreciate your holding. Kip and Max save the world. Kip Christensen, Max Reimer in studio with us to analyze your primary election returns as they come in here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. You can join us at 651-989-5855. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. primary election return coverage here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming on TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights usually. Start a little bit early this evening uh, thanks to Brad Omlin taking the helm and uh, helped along in our analysis by Kip Christensen and Max Reimer of Kip and Max Save the World, which you can find at kipandmax.com and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Let's talk to Brian calling all the way from California. Appreciate you holding for as long as you did. Share your thoughts with us. Uh, Yeah, I've got a question for Kip and Max. Uh, I was just wondering how overall GOP turnout compared to the last midterm, 2014, when I was in California working on the GOP. You were in Minnesota, uh, Brian. For the GOP. And uh, how are the numbers? Uh, Do you think there's been any uh, shift in people who are voting for the GOP? Uh, I've seen somewhat of an ideological shift in the GOP in the last four years. Uh, And I'll start with that. Right, cer- certainly. I'm looking at I'm looking at the statewide's for let's say Klobuchar, um, Klobuchar versus the total turnout in a county that you're familiar with, Brian. Um, Wright County had oh that's not a that's not a great. We don't really know right now with so many precincts not yet in. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're we're still watching that at the moment. Um, but for example, even in staunch red Wright County. Um, Democrat turnout in the precincts that have reported is comparable with Republican turnout. And under that regime, we've seen almost double the number of primary voters that there were in 2014. Does that, does that represent excitement on both sides? It seems pretty comparable. Well, breaking from the New York Times, Jeff Johnson just got the check mark. Jeff Johnson has just won. The wow. GOP primary. This will send shockwaves through the entire nation. Wow. Appreciate the call, Brian. Appreciate you contributing yeah. to the program. Thanks, Brian. Good to hear from you. So with that news, that, of course, is the big news of the evening. Jeff Johnson is the MNGOP candidate for governor. 
going into November defeats Tim Pawlenty, and uh, as Max stated, massive Tim, repercussions. Tim Pawlenty has just conceded the race. Wow. So, so let's talk about this. What does this mean? Is Tim Pawlenty's political career at an end? It's done. Yes, I think that's that's clear. Mm-hmm. That's clear. Um, I think the other thing, and not to be too hyperbolic in all of this, because you have to try to, as much as we want to be excited about this, that, or the other thing, you have to try to analyze it for what it is. Jeff is going to have an incredibly difficult route against the sure. presumable candidate, Tim Walls. Uh, Tim Pawlenty's political career is over, and what I find fascinating about this specific referendum, Jeff Johnson winning, um, Jeff Johnson tied his horse real close to Donald Trump and he that did. type of politics. He did. I think you can take this as a rejection of establishment politics and tactics. Tim Pawlenty outraised Jeff Johnson at the end of the day probably 12 to 1. So anecdotally, just as a guy who you guys are real plugged into the data, both of you are involved uh, in, in terms of actual working with campaigns and what have you. I'm just a schlub out here on the sidelines watching from the outside in. And anecdotally, my observation of the Temple into campaign, uh, you know, we talked about it on the Wrong About Everything podcast when I was hanging out with those guys uh, a, a week or so ago. It, it seemed like a very plastic candidacy. You know, he put out this lit piece of, of him standing with Bob Kroll, the head of the Minneapolis Police Federation, and a, a number of other officers talking about immigration and, and enforcing uh, the the immigration laws in a sanctuary county of Hennepin, and or sanctuary city of Minneapolis, and the, the just everything was put. To, it looked like every aspect of that lit piece had been focus grouped, like down to the fold of the cuff on the the arm of a shirt. And when you talk about the the establishment style. To me, that's part of it. It's it's that everything is calculated, everything is yes. focus grouped, everything is consulted, and you know it's not a problem that's exclusive. I don't want to rag too heavy on Tim Pawlenty because it's not a problem that's exclusive to him. In my in my observation, gubernatorial candidates as running as Republicans in this state, going back as far as I can remember, which you know due to my involvement as Tom Emmer in 2010, mm-hmm. have always suffered from this overproduction, this overconsultation, relying heavily on experts who are paid a lot of money, often coming in from other parts of the nation who don't know anything about Minnesota, paid a lot of money to tell them what to do. And what I've noticed as somebody who actually knows Tom Emmer and actually knows Jeff Johnson is that those guys who I know yeah. never actually get introduced to the people of Minnesota. And and I don't think we want to spend all night ragging on on the Palenti no. campaign necessarily, but there is certainly when you view those types of tactics, there is a talent gap. I and I will say this as an observation: the advertisement and Kip and I have talked about this on on our podcast. I felt like the precision of the Palenti campaign was flawless, even leading up to convention. I felt like the timing was good. I felt like him releasing certain press releases that he wasn't going to show up certain places deflated a lot of the Jeff Johnson hopeful votes. Right. Tim Pawlenty running that ad, the the television ad, Mm -hmm. gave the Johnson campaign new life. Mm. It gave them a reason to get back in the conversation to say, hey, look, he's not ignoring us anymore. This is where we're at as a campaign 
I felt like that was a critical mistake. And then from there, there was just a hodgepodge of weird tactics that they tried that didn't seem to work because you had lost the base in some form or fashion. There's uh, there's going to be enough experts analyzing this race at the end of the day to 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 fill an entire show. But Tim Pawlenty started out precise, and then is you know Mike Tyson said that everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Right. And I felt like Tim Pawlenty took one or two punches to the mouth and then just improved and spent money, and here we are. And uh, his brand of politics has been completely rejected. He's going to lose by eight points. So, so when you talk about there being national implications to this, what do you have in mind beyond here in the state of Minnesota? Well, you know, when Mike Pence was in Minnesota, um, Newt Gingrich was here, too. And Newt Gingrich said that he supports Tim Pawlenty because he personally knows Tim Pawlenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all sorts of people who predicted on Fox News, who were calling this thing already, right. who were saying that there's not a contest to be had. And we knew a little bit different in Minnesota. Everybody locally here knew that nah, it's it's going to be closer than you think it is. I, I, I think if you ask most people, they would say, I think it's going to be closer than it's being projected. Uh, on the national stage, Tim Blunty has national name ID. He ran for president once. Right. Um. This is going to be a shock to the system. This is going to be one of those things where people are going to look at this race and say, what the heck happened? Because Tim Pawlenty, from traditional standards, outraised Jeff Johnson. He had uh, more traditional support and ultimately looked like the candidate who could be better positioned to win in November. Um, This is is pretty incredible. Like We we really should acknowledge this moment is um, it, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Minnesota just lost close to seven or eight million dollars on the GOP side. Well, come on, Kip. Why do you say that? RGA is going to pull their money. It's gone. There's. N- I don't think so. I don't think RGA is pulling their money. Okay. That was that. That was their initial press release. So, but haven't when we, they said it was coming in? Haven't we just seen through this result in, in indication? That while money, of course, is absolutely valuable, that it isn't the end all be all. You know, to to me, this this is a another example that points to the the inherent fundamental conceptual flaw of the argument that there's too much money in politics. Money buys you access to people, but it does not argue on your behalf. You actually have to have a message that people are interested in and that they buy into and that they're enthusiastic about. And, and you know, certainly we need we need money going into November. But, you know, Jeff Johnson was when I was looking at the numbers earlier this week, I, I was embarrassed on behalf of Jeff Johnson. I'll just be honest about it. The, the, hmm. the, the degree to which he was outraised by Tim Pawlenty. And now we see this result. I, th- I think money is a painful double edged sword, especially when you're going against your own. And if you let it cut you um, instead of your opponent, if you if you use the money, I think, in the way that it was used. Mm hmm. Um, that first buy for sure. Um, if these results hold, and obviously New York Times and everybody else has called this, and plenty has conceded. Um, although there is still some tightening of the numbers, but I don't think it's going to make it there. Um, we've seen that that money can can hit you very hard and harm you mm-hmm. if it's used wrongly. Right. The money is most valuable when it's behind negative against your opponent and you're not attacking someone who your people that you're going to have to wind up calling on sure love right. 
right. or at least don't feel bad about. Like when you go negative and ask people to forget all that, and forget all of that. <laughs> right. Mind you, mind you, most of the people that voted in this primary mm-hmm. voted in the general in 2014 for Jeff and came around to it. And there's a psychological connection there. Sure. I worked for Jeff in 14. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot behind that. There's, and the, it's a lot to overcome. And I think if you put down negative um, wrongly, it gives that breath of life, like Max said. Well, and plus that ad, like to any, but to the type of people, like you say, who are coming out to vote in a primary election, that ad came off as BS because people know Jeff Johnson and they know who he is and they know what he believes. And so to come out and say he's a tax and spender, he's a liberal, he's for Obamacare. We've known this guy for years, and he's railed against all of that stuff. And so it's you're you're basically, at least for me, and you know other people can speak for themselves in terms of what their perception of the ad was. But it's it's like you think I'm an idiot. It's like you think you can pull one over on me by telling me that what I know about this guy isn't true. It's an open source world. There's uh, you know you're right in the sense that when you run an ad. People get to be their own fact checkers instantaneously online. And it, in some cases, it's through sources that just verify their own opinion, you know. But to your point, when that ad came out, Kip, Kip is right. And Tim Pawlenty spun this in a way that was also right. Completely, if you take words at their face value, the claims that the ads made were true. And they I say that all, they were all correct. I they were correct. And I say that as in when a 5% property tax increase was proposed at the Hennepin County Board, Jeff Johnson attempted to amend that proposal to be 3%. Both of those things were property tax increases. Correct. Jeff tried to ma- tried to Make mitigate it a smaller one. They tried to mitigate the damage, but it was true. Technically. It's true, but to the the you have to look at the overall con like first of all, as a municipal official myself, I can tell you right now that the idea that you're going to have anything other than property tax increases in terms of the actual increase in the levy, you're going to have to because there's this thing called inflation, there's this thing called cost of living. Yes. In order to have a flat levy, which is just a total amount of money. It's not a, it's not like the income tax where you're talking about a percentage of people's income. It's the flat amount of money that you're taking out of of the economy in terms of people's property taxes. If you hold that number at zero, you're going to have to start cutting services and your constituents expect those services to be maintained. And so to try to portray that as, oh, he's for he's for limitless taxing and spending. He's a tax and spender. Yes. It's particularly it, disingenuous. And you're correct. You're correct, Walter. And we are talking about nuance here. Right. And I understand that nuance. We're talking about extreme nuance. It, very much inside baseball, and yeah. that's and and Kip and Max save the world is uh, largely focused on a lot of inside baseball. So and, and and that is that is a lot of the stuff we get into. Yep. But you also have people like Pat Kessler, all those fact check spots that said that it was twelve lies in thirty seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those were also not exactly nuanced. I see what you interpretations saying. of the reaction to. The plenty. So one one guy that I had call in, and this is all happening kind of real time. Was I I really did want to get the perspective of 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 John Gilmore, okay. who's been 
We do have to go to a break real quick. We'll get to John as soon as we return. Appreciate you calling in, John. Appreciate you holding. We'll get to you as soon as we return from this short break. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Let's get right into it. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. We're providing live and local coverage of your primary election returns this evening on Twin Cities News Talk and 1130-1035 FM. Got Kip Christensen and Max Reimer from Kip and Max hey, hey. in with us to help analyze things. And on the line for the second time in like three days, Wow, John Gilmore providing analysis. Thanks for calling in. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm really not used to being this popular, quite frankly. <laughs> wrong, you know? Maybe I'm off my game. Um, I've been following, you know, things on Twitter where I live, so I haven't had uh, the opportunity to listen to what you guys have been saying. And sure. uh, Max asked me uh, to call in, so so here I am. John, what do you what do you make of this? I, I I do find it interesting. You were on the radio here, and then you were on the Living Free podcast with uh with with Jake Duesenberg, and um you wouldn't commit to a prediction necessarily, but I feel like I could hear it in your voice that you knew something was changing in Minnesota, and you've kind of had the pulse on that since the Donald Trump election. Is there anything deeper we can read into about this election um coming off of a Donald Trump victory in twenty sixteen? I, I think there's two ways to um, approach that, and that was Max, right? Was that yeah, Max? yeah, yeah. Um, you, you can overread this, um, and I don't think you should. Um, Judy Johnson, who is on the city council in Plymouth, she, we have a fun relationship. Um, she's more moderate, I think that would be fair, uh, in Republican politics than I am. But she was very astute on Twitter tonight. And the only disagreement that I had with her was that she said, the electorate has shifted rightward. And I don't think that's what happened tonight. The electorate got tired with their own establishment that didn't deliver for them. They run around the state, our, our Republicans do, and God bless them. I'll never be on the ballot. I wouldn't vote for myself. And- <laughs> um, but they run, and, and you get you know, all three of you gentlemen get the same sort of fundraising letters, and you are very close observers of Minnesota uh, Republican politics in particular, vote for us, lower taxes, smaller government, yada, yada, and, and that's all good, and we vote, and we vote. And last session, the Republican-controlled legislature increased state spending by 10%. Now, people aren't crazy. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of cognitive dissonance when they're promised one thing. It doesn't have to be exactly delivered. They're just looking for you to make the uh, strongest effort that you can and try to hit that strike zone that you yourself, candidates and elected officials, have set up as the expectation, then they turn around and they say, well, 10% state in, uh, spending increase. We had a Democrat governor, couldn't do anything about it, and they fly around the state wanting to be praised. And, and, and the average involved person, I think, um, just kind of has a bit of a whiplash about that. So I don't think the Republican electorate is any further right on any issue that you might want to uh, bring up and discuss. I think what they're looking at is a new kind of politics where they're really asking you and now demanding that you keep those representations that they make on the campaign trail. And I think voters are forgiving, especially Republicans, because if we don't win with Jeff Johnson against it looks like Tim Walz tonight, you guys, we're in a world of hurt. And and I'm quite serious. Ellison yeah. won his primary, that's no surprise. Uh, Ilhan Omar is going to Congress. Um, that's slightly repulsive. Um, and, and, and there you have it. So 
Um, unfortunately, I don't think former Governor Tim Pawlenty, who is a decent man, there's nothing personal, I don't believe, certainly speaking only for myself tonight, I'll, I'll play it safe. Um, he's a decent man, and he tried his best in the eight years. There was a lot of baggage that came with that because he sort of adjusted his issues on positions, as we all saw, in advance of running for president. And that, you know, was only in 2012, but after Trump in 2016, it seemed like a light years, light years. Um, and, and we now live politically and certainly in the news cycle and across every other metric. We live in uh, the age of Trump, but, but what's exhausting at times is we, leave, we, we live at the speed of Trump. And this guy's 72 years old. Right. So, you know, I, I, I think the governor had the wrong people around him. Uh, those are good people. Those are good men and women. I know who they are. They thought they were trying to put together the best campaign with the old metrics, and and the recipe had changed, and and they didn't they didn't see that. And I have a friend who will remain anonymous. Everyone would know him, uh, not in politics, uh, but a close observer. Um, and he said he thought that if the Pawlenty campaign had done nothing. Tim would have won tonight. And what he meant by that was going from ignoring Jeff Johnson completely to launching an attack ad that was ill-advised and unsound at best really caused a backlash. I said that at the time, and then there was another, you know, it's a Niagara Falls of tweets, and I'm getting sick of text messages and DMs, and, <laughs> and I want to put the ocean. But somebody else said that wasn't fatal if they course-corrected, which is exactly what I wrote more than once for Alpha News. And what they did, unfortunately, was double down on it. And what's the first rule of when you're in a hole? Stop digging. Yeah. And, and I don't think there were enough other voices, dissenting voices, from the top commander of the Palenti campaign that would actually be able to take in that new information, look at how they were running the race, uh, look at the metrics that, that weren't working, and, and, then, and then adjust. And Palenti initially started his campaign at 38,000 feet. That was a little too remote. It was straight out of 2012. It was a long time ago. Um, and you can't door knock the entire state of Minnesota. People criticize me for as if I'm saying that. Of course not. But he doesn't go to certain things. Not going to the Trump rally and then to the state endorsing convention. Both were serious mistakes. He could have had a lot of dignity going to uh, Duluth on June 1st and 2nd and saying, you know, um, no, I'm sorry, the subsequent week or Whenever it was, I think it got the weekend reversed. Um, what, the endorsing convention in Duluth. Mm -hmm. He could have gone and said, you know, I got into the race too late, whether people bought it or not. It's a plausible reason. It allows you to have faith. He could have shown up and said, but I respect this process because you people are working your tail off. You've got three fine candidates. I'm here to say, isn't it great that we're all Minnesota Republicans? I'm going to see you on August 14th, but I respect you. And I hope whenever you pick their person, we can have a great discussion of honest decencies, uh, de of honest uh, issues, and, and a decent discussion because I want your vote. And he never really asked for anybody's vote. Yeah, that that was an interesting phenomenon to to watch. And and the reason, John, I wanted to have you on is because throughout the entire throughout this this entire process. Um, you have been on the forefront on, on Twitter, either memeing this thing or commenting on it, and it did seem to me that uh, that in general this race was about Tim Pawlenty's legacy. Uh, and when when a race is about you, 
And it's not about the people and, and like him, love him, be indifferent towards him. Jeff Johnson was talking about you, you know, reforming government for you. Um, that message seems to resonate. And this is just another case study in, in a new politics. So I guess where, where do we go from here? We have two, we have two very resounding case studies in the state of Minnesota. Trump coming so close now and then Jeff Johnson getting over the hump in a, in a primary where, um, establishment and media would say that he had no chance. Uh, what do you, what do you see happening from here? It looks like Walls is going to be the candidate. Do you think, do you think Jeff has a fighting, a fighting chance in the general? I absolutely do, but Max, let me predicate it on, on the following, and I hope I don't embarrass my friends Peter Glessing and Gina Countryman, both who are on Twitter, and when the race was called for uh, Johnson over Pomenti, who they supported, uh, for all the reasons that I understood, um, that they're friends of mine, sorry to ruin the reputation, and they were right out there saying, we need to get behind Johnson, and all of Tim's supporters need to do that. His donors certainly do. If, if the former governor can repurpose within the law um, the monies that he has been able to raise, if the Republican Governors Association would do a rethink in Minnesota, if, if the president would help them in that reassessment, um, it was not a given. And this is, you know, at, at some point, I mean, thanks for your kind words, Max, but like I sit here in St. Paul and I think and then I write and bang things out and, and, and that's, that's all I can do. That's, that's a talent that I have, and, and it's a mixed blessing. I don't, you know, if I worry about being right, I, I would never write anything. I'm just kind of thinking out loud, and I find that people agree, and then some people don't. If you can agree with 50%, that's great. Uh, take, take the half that works. What I was trying to tell the plenty people is that, you know, don't be afraid of the voters, um, and uh, there's the authenticity buzzword. Um, remember that phrase, you might be a little too young, Wolf may know or something, um, just be real, you know, get real. That, those are still, uh, you know, uh, in currency. And, 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 and Tim never sort of got out of the, uh, the bubble. And I, I think in small groups and in large groups, he could have certainly risen to that occasion. But now that we have Jeff Johnson, we can't be the dumbest Republicans in the nation again. I appreciate your thoughts as always, John Gimmel. We, we're about five minutes overdue for a break. Appreciate you calling, and we'll talk to you soon. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. We'll be back shortly. All right, super short segment. We've got two winners from our primary election tonight on the line. We're going to start with Jim Hagedorn, who's calling in. We're just going to put him right up right away and get talking to him. Mr. Hagedorn, welcome to the program. It's Bill. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Great. So uh, how are you feeling tonight? Well, we feel great. You know, we, we worked very hard to make sure that uh, we got across all of southern Minnesota to uh, get our message across. And, and uh, the voters rewarded us with a very solid two-to-one victory tonight, and we're excited. And looking forward to November, what's the message that you have for the, the broader electorate down there? Well, right, right now, if you look at it, the Democrat Party has moved so far to the left, as Ronald Reagan said about Mondale, that left America. They're all, <laughs> every one of these last Democrats are Keith Ellison now. They all want the open borders, the socialized medicine, the gun control. And we tell people, rather than resisting the president, replacing the president, moving us way to the left, we're going to offer a contrast. And the contrast is to keep working with President Trump to keep moving the country in the right direction, to secure our borders and protect our country, to reform the government, to keep the economy moving, 
to protect our God-given rights, like the right to life and the right to keep and bear arms, and the right to religious freedom, and to sustain agriculture in our rural way of life, to, which is very important down in southern Minnesota. So a clear contrast election. Sounds like a, a good message to me. As you've been talking to folks uh, on the ground, shaking hands and uh, and learning people's values, what what are the folks on the ground concerned about in that district? Well, you know what? They think that the country is in trouble because we're not out of the woods yet. In that last election, I told people if, if Donald Trump didn't win, we would have lost the country the way the forefathers put it together. And right now, if we don't keep the U.S. House of Representatives and pick up some of these Democrat seats in, in Minnesota – to do that job, you know, for all intents and purposes, President Trump's going to lose his presidency. So it's very important for people to get out and work for all the Republican candidates across the state of Minnesota. I was really encouraged to see Jeff Johnson and others win. Most of the endorsed candidates won. I think the Minnesota Republican Party, which has done a terrific job, uh, led by Jennifer Carnahan, they had a great night, as did all the activists across the state. So we're excited about the race, and we're ready to go after it tomorrow. To that end, how can people help you out? Where can they learn more? Well, if you go to jimhagedorn.org, that's our website, and then you can contribute right online. But we would love the uh, the, the people on the ground shaking hands, uh, knocking on doors, making calls, whatever. We appreciate the support, and we have a, a tremendous organization led by David, David Fitzsimmons down here in all 21 counties, and uh, I just can't wait to get going tomorrow and to keep shaking hands and meeting the people of Southern Minnesota. Yeah, I'm a big fan of David. Say hi to him when you see him. Appreciate you calling <laughs> in. Congratulations, Jim. Well, thanks for the chance. Have a great night. Yeah, have a good one. Let's also talk to Dave Hughes, who is our pre- prevailing victor in CD7 in the GOP primary. Welcome to the program, Dave Hughes. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. So I'll, I'll put the same question to you. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling great. You know, we worked really hard, uh, got the message out, got all throughout the 38 counties of CD7, and uh, very pleased uh, uh, at the results tonight. 75 parades, Dave. you got a lot under your belt. You've been everywhere. Yeah, that's what it takes, you know, uh, 87 counties in the, in the state, and we've got 38 of them. So, uh, you know, between uh, uh, my, my team and, and everybody else out there, we, uh, we were hitting it hard. Yeah, I, I understand the, the geography up there to be quite daunting in, in terms of this type of endeavor, having to put a lot of miles on the vehicle. Uh, in terms of the interaction that you've had with folks, I'll put the same question to you that I put to Jim Hagedorn. You know, what are, are people's chief concerns right now in CD? Well, for a long time, it was the, uh, it was the threefold issue of securing the border, fixing the immigration system, you know, both the legal part of it and the illegal part of it, and then the refugee resettlement program. And that's still, uh, up front and very, uh, you know, very uh, uh, important to folks. But really the burning issue that everybody's talking about is the tariff situation and, and how uh, hard dairy is suffering right now mm. and how the uh, soy and, and corn guys are concerned about um, uh, the situation with tariffs and, and, and also the pork producers with their uh, fall futures contracts and stuff. So Tariffs are, are a really big issue, and I'm, I'm pleased uh, and sometimes surprised, but very pleased at the confidence that most of the farmers that I, the overwhelming majority of the farmers that I encounter, and they say they get it. They understand that the president is using this as short-term leverage to accomplish long-term gain. And so uh, I'm confident that the president understands all this situation and that he's going to uh, resolve this issue with the help of Congress uh, as, as quickly as possible. How can people help out heading into November? 
I'd love if they check out my website. It's hughes4congress.us. They can donate there, and uh, we, we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and uh, we'd love to have everybody help in any way they can, both uh, contributions and uh, uh, voluntary work, and, and uh, we welcome everybody. Appreciate you calling into the program. Congratulations, Congratulations and best Dave. of luck moving forward. I appreciate it a lot. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, one thing that Jim and Dave kind of both brought up, the uh, the MNGOP is 12 for 12 tonight in endorsed candidates and uh, victories, some of those being unopposed, obviously. But uh, there was no race that went um, uh, opposed to the MNGOP endorsement process. A real testament to the power of the GOP endorsement, which is something that had been in question for a no couple doubt. of cycles. And uh, it has come back with a vengeance in terms of its strength. And I think we'll see a lot more respect for it in subsequent cycles. I think you have to, because I think a lot of people were using this election as a case study, sure. especially on the Palenti side, where um, Tim, his strategy was to not only circumvent the endorsement process, um, but Kip and I have talked about this on Kip and Max Save the World, KipandMax.com. We've talked about this, that part of Tim's legacy, I believe, was to reform the system completely uh, uh, as he saw fit, where no convention, no endorsement, uh, a major reform or removal of the caucus system, um, and the activists really didn't make their voices heard tonight sure. that we're not done with that stuff yet. Yeah. That, I, I do believe it was a referendum on a lot of that. Now, there are local races where the endorsement did not hold, specifically look at 34A, yes. Joyce Pepin's seat. Uh, Brad Ganser, that was a failure of the endorsement system in terms of not knowing a record, and that was pointed out to the voters uh, who decided uh, pretty strongly against. Well, and on the local level, the the local parties are the ones who provide strength to the endorsements in their right. district, and the strength of those organizations varies across the state. Yeah, the 34 race is not a knock on the state GOP in any way. Um, but guess what? The GOP gets to market from now, from now until forever is the fact that uh, beyond the local races, when we're talking about congressional and statewide, um, they get to they get to appear flawless. Yeah. Absolutely, and here we are. Well, now they have now. Now everybody needs to raise a ton of money to win this statewide cycle. No like, doubt, we, we are very behind the eight ball. Now the Democrats spent a ton of money on this too, burnt through all of Tim Walz's war chest. Um, but ABM had an, was flush enough to spend two million dollars defeating Tim Pawlenty tonight, and don't think they're going to stop tomorrow. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Kip Christensen, Max Reimer from Kip and Max Save the World. We'll return momentarily at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. All right. Our callers on the line have definitely earned the right to get in uh, their words because they've been holding for quite some time. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130-1035 FM. Let's start with Bill in Stillwater. World record for time spent on hold. Appreciate it. Woohoo! Hey, Walter. Say, much like yourself, after the 2016 election, I had to throw out everything I knew about politics. But uh, tonight, I think I have three lessons that I can take away. Uh, the first is that I found out what the DFL and Jeff Johnson have in common. They are both experts at beating Republicans. They're just really good at it. And the second thing I learned is that the Republicans in endorsement really, really matters. And that's it's going to play a huge part going forward. 
And, and finally, I think I got, you know, after looking at the DSL results, I was really shocked at how poorly Lori Swanson did tonight. And I, I think I got some insight into the mind of a, uh, of a Democrat voter in the state. First of all, if there's any domestic violence involved, a Democratic voter is slightly perturbed. But the accusation is something in the workplace, they get really upset. And whatever you do, if you're a Democratic candidate, do not put out a dumpster fire. They hate that. All right. Appreciate the insights, Bill. Appreciate you waiting to share them with us. Let's go to Pat in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program. Yes, hi. Um, I don't know if you've discussed this at all, but I was. Um, you talked a little bit about some fundraising on the Democrat side with the Walls campaign. And Mike, my question is this. Um, he has been spending a lot of money on, we've gotten tons of polling that they've spent a lot of money on, and it was always Walls Palenti, and all of his ads are against Palenti. Now, with right. Palenti not in, isn't that, wasn't that a lot of waste of money on their part, and then how much more have they got? I suppose they've got deep pockets. And the other uh, point I wondered about was, if anybody remembers, and I have vague memories of this, Chris Fields running, I think he was running against uh, Ellison. Yes. And there was a state fair kind of uh, hot debate. Mm-hmm. And at one point, it seemed to me, I, I overheard Chris Fields saying, well, what's that? He, the, Ellison came over to him, got in his face, and Fields said, well, that guy think he's going to throw a punch at me or what? I'm a Marine. So I think that with Ellison, who's ever running against him, they might want to dig into that a little bit and see, um, talking about, well, if he has a hot temper with a girlfriend and a hot temper with a, uh, another person, then maybe there's something there that could be used uh, you know, against Ellison. So does anybody remember that at all? I, I appreciate you raising the questions, Pat. We'll uh, we'll get a take here from Kip and Max. To the question, I'm particularly interested because we're short on time, to this question regarding Wall's tactic of campaigning against Palenti before the primary. Is there any fallout from that? It was cheap money. It was super cheap money to spend against him in the primary. ABM said as much, to, well, they've said as much very publicly, also in private, that if they can spend a smaller amount now to prevent them from spending in the general um, so that they don't have a more competitive race that they need to hit. Um, this was well worth it uh, to hit him early and knock him out. That was the whole point of Walls's attack this direction um, and ABM's attack this direction. I think they believe that it's going to be a smoother road. Um, we just now have to turn on the afterburners and make sure that that calculation was entirely wrong. I will say... Uh to that end, I believe the entire traditional process of campaigning, of what it takes to win an election, needs to be rethunk or rethought. I don't know what the what what the right, number, right is. The time. number two or yeah. rethought. Uh, this is this is another watershed moment for us all. As if uh, Trump didn't convince us that the way we traditionally think about politics is over. Right. This. Should the final numbers are not there yet, but Tim Pawlenty will have outraised Jeff Johnson by eleven to twelve yeah. to one. Ridiculous, Ridiculous numbers. Ridiculous. It, it should have never been this way. There was money, major money poured into both kind of traditional uh, campaigns and candidates. Uh, and if you're gonna if you're gonna count the chickens before they hatch, I, I think you got to stop doing that. If there's a if there's a candidate who appears to have more kind of grassroots ground level support. 
that might be the future of politics. But for the time being, I, I got to say, rest in peace to traditional poll-tested tactics. It's over. All right, let's talk real quick to Barry in St. Paul. Thanks for holding. you got about 20 seconds. Hey, if Ellison gets convicted of what he's accused of, can he even hold office? It's not even really a question of getting convicted. This is uh, this doesn't seem to be going to a criminal case, um, since there wasn't there isn't a police. It's, it is the court of public opinion at this point. Now, a conviction would look like the video getting released should it ever be released. Um, thoughts, gentlemen? We don't got time for them, unfortunately. Kip Christensen, Max Reimer, Kip and Max Save the World is their podcast found at kipandmax.com. Thanks for coming in tonight, guys. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Thanks Walter. for listening. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. See you 9 to 11 tomorrow. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.